0: Life Audio.
1: Welcome to sound reasoning. I am your host, Perseus Poku. On today's episode, wanted to deal with the topic of how to avoid idol worship, how to avoid idol worship. And after a word from our sponsors, we'll get started on the topic today. Perhaps you may be saying to yourself, well, I worship the true and authentic God. I don't engage in idol worship. And if that is true, then may the Lord continue to bless you and sustain you as you keep walking in him. But what I've noticed throughout the years, even within the church, is some believers have uh, committed syncretic behavior. And by that word, syncretic, S-Y-N-T-R-E-T-I-C. What we mean by that is that um, you have held on to certain uh, belief systems, certain ordinances that Christ has already rejected. So perhaps you're still um, engaged in idol worship as it relates to astrology, Uh, You still live your life based on the rotation of the earth. You still live your life based on uh, what season it is. You still live your life based on what the horoscope in the newspapers or online media tells you. Perhaps you are still holding on to that amulet that's supposed to bring you good luck, that rabbit's foot. And in that case, you're still committed idol worship. And this is what Jesus, our own Jesus, this is what he warns us about, that we ought not to put anything before him. Uh, all of these things ought to be rejected. And so for many of us, it's difficult because we've raised, we've been raised up in a certain culture. We've been taught certain things. But then when we start following Jesus Christ, there are some things he wants us to let go. And we find this in the book of Colossians, Um, the theme of Colossians Colossians deals with the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And this means that Jesus is transcended and supreme above all things and all else, meaning that whatever um, our shared beliefs or hell beliefs are, when we encounter Jesus, he wants us to sift it by his word. And there are some things we held on that were precious, our views regarding birth, as an example. Um, There are some countries who believe in genocide, uh, uh, killing of innocent babies, Uh, our views concerning death. Um, There are some uh, countries that uh, hurry up death. They believe in, just like we in in many circles, America does, uh, they believe in what they call mercy killing. Uh, if you all remember Dr. Kevorkian and his belief system, that the most empathetic thing you can do for someone who didn't want to live anymore was to help them to die. And that is totally opposite what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches life. The Bible the, uh, decency, if we're going to use that word decency, has to be defined within the framework of a Christian worldview. Not within the framework of science alone, not within the framework of psychology alone, but what does worth mean? What does it mean to be worth something? Are we going to allow scientists to frame what worth is versus what God says worth is? God has given us parameters on how we ought to view ourselves. And the things that we're not sure of, we know that God deals with certainty versus probabilities. God deals with certainty, whereas we deal with probabilities, God is always certain. So when he prescribes something to us, we may not like it at first, but it's the best thing for us to hold on to what he's prescribed for us. So let's take a look at this book of Colossians which deals with the supremacy of Jesus Christ, Jesus should be embraced and worshiped above all else. Even if it doesn't make sense to us, doesn't mean it's illogical necessarily. It just means that we don't have the bandwidth to understand what he's doing. So when we look at the book of Colossians, we are provided with valuable insights into the teachings of the early church. Paul's letter to the church in Colossae gives us insights into the false dogma that was being preached in the first century. Moreover, uh, readers are given a list of commandments that were obligatory for righteous conduct. This is what we get when we read the book of Colossians. Paul was trying to convey a message to them. And more importantly, Paul details what believers ought to embrace in contrast To what ought to be eliminated. The warnings against syncretism. Is a common theme. Through his letter. Uh, In this context. He's referring to the attempts. To fuse. Or to combine two opposing cultures. Where we try to include. The secular with the sacred. uh, Where we're trying to put. um, New wine. Into old wineskin. And that is not. Uh, sustainable. So when we look at the history, Paul's letter is a valuable asset to those who desire to better understand the city of Colossae and its residents. This city, which was situated in the upper Lycos Valley in Asia minor, it was positioned uh, approximately 110 miles east of Ephesus, 12 miles uh, east of Hierapolis and 10 miles east of Laodicea. So in ancient times, This city of Colossae was very prominent. So according to uh, Xenophon, uh, who lived in the 4th century B.C., uh, he's an ancient Greek soldier and writer. The city of Colossae was also populous, meaning it had a lot of people. Xenophon wrote the following when recounting the Persian king Cyrus' march through uh, Phrygia, which, uh, in contrast to Colossae, was the region that he had visited. Uh, quote, crossing it, he said, he marched through uh, Phrygia, a single stage of eight uh, Parazons, which is a fraction of the distance of an infantry uh, that would march. So to Colossae, an inhabited city, a prosperous and large city, uh, end quote. And that was um, that was uh, the writings of Xenophon. So Greek writer Herodotus, he also writes that Colossae uh, was a great city. He writes, quote, having carried out this promise, Xerxes moved on, passing the Phrygian town of Anoa and lake from which salt is extracted. Xerxes now arrived at the large city of Colossae. And and again, this is um, a quote from Herodotus, uh, the father of history, as many people call him. So uh, he goes on. Uh, and writes more about the topology of Colossae. So Colossae, at one point, was the center of the textile industry in the Lyca's Valley. They created wool called uh, Colosseum, and that word Colosseum, we now use it to refer to buildings and a sports arena, Uh, even the the Roman Colosseum. uh, We use that term for it. Um, But in this case, they called the wool Colosseum. The decline of this great city was due in part to the main road being redirected to Laodicea. However, its ultimate demise was due to an earthquake in 60 AD. The only evidence of its existence today is a large mound or steli located in Turkey. So um, if you're in Turkey, you can visit the steli, which represents the ancient uh, Colossae, the people that lived there and the people to whom Paul wrote this letter that were believers. So, in chapter 1, which is verses 1 through 29 of the book of Colossians, um, our topic, again, for those who are just joining us, is how to avoid idol worship. So, the letter begins with Paul, with his usual salutation. He makes it clear to his audience the following. He is an apostle of Jesus Christ. Uh, the preposition by informs us how he became an apostle. His apostleship was not conferred upon him by human efforts, but by the consent or will of God alone. Let us take a break to recognize our sponsors and we'll be right back. In this same chapter, we learned that Timothy is with him also as they go out and intend and endeavor to share uh, the gospel. So verse verse 2, he informs us that the letter was written to the faithful brethren in Christ located at Colossae. Paul sends them spiritual blessings, not just from himself, but from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 3, he gives thanks to God. His gratitude was not self-centered, but it was rather altruistic. He thanks God for them, the church of Colossae. And he is praying for them. God is certainly pleased when we are not always thinking about ourselves, but also in the welfare of other people. Paul wanted this church to know that he is always praying for them. This sentiment, similar to what Paul shared with the church of Thessalonica, he wanted them to pray without ceasing. In this verse, Paul is modeling what he told others to do. And that's the case with you and I. We must pray without stopping. And and that means that at all times, every day, while you're in your car, you ought to be uh, praying within your spirit. You ought to be um, praising God for all that he's done. Um, Praying doesn't always mean you have to have your eyes closed. It's good, if you can, to avoid distractions, but you can pray with your eyes open. You can pray in a crowd. You can pray alone. You can pray at a concert. You can pray at a worship. You can pray without ceasing. Paul wanted this church to know that he's always praying for them. In verse 4, he gives them accolades for their faith. This faith was not found in vain philosophies, sociology, or psychology. It is rooted in Jesus Christ. The question is, is your faith rooted in Jesus Christ? And I hope the answer is yes. Their faith was in Jesus Christ. Uh, The conjunction and tells us how their faith was exemplified. They loved all the saints, they loved all the saints, and it's good to have a church that have a Christian love for its people, uh, a Christ-like love for all the saints. It, it is very uh, important to have that at a church where they love on each other, where they fellowship, where they lift each other up, where they hold each other accountable. Uh, that's very important for a local church to have that type of character um according to paul in his writing um he writes quote uh, we must learn to love others there's a distinction uh between those who are ontologic, ontologically ontologically saved and what we do functionally so in short we must learn to love the person and abhor the sin paul is essentially repeat, repeating the teachings of jesus if we remember Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 to 48, he said, Ye have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good and send rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love, love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans do the same? If you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans so? But ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Matthew five forty three through forty eight. So again, he challenges us. Right? Uh, uh, it, it is difficult to love some people because of what they do. And Jesus is challenging you. He's challenging me. He's challenging all of us that following him and doing the things he's asking us to do is not always easy, but it's the best thing to do because the master has called us to do it. And when we do what he asks us to do, it works out better for our interest than when we decide uh, to choose what we're going to do. And that's the problem with some uh, churchgoers today is this selective obedience. We select uh, which part of the Bible we want to obey. Uh, We select which part of his commandments we want to follow. And that's not uh, an indicator of a good sheep. Uh, The sheep knows his voice. The sheep listens to the voice of the shepherd. And if you find yourself being able to do what you want to do, and uh, God can't tell you what to do, and you have your mind made up that you're going to be inconsistent in your worship, then you may want to check your confession of faith. You may want to check to see if God truly has his hands on you, because when God has his hands on you, we are intellectually arrested. We are emotionally arrested, and if you're intellectually arrested, Romans 12 and 2 kicks in where it says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that you may prove that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So when God has his hands on you, I'm not saying that we don't make mistakes, but we also are not able to do what we want to do all the time. And if you find yourself doing what you want to do when you feel like doing it and no one can tell you what to do and what not to do. And even the Holy ghost is not able to influence you to, uh, to live righteously. Then you may want to go back, talk to God and make sure that uh, you are part of the flock. So the church of Colossae exhibited the virtues of love toward uh, other people. Paul also informs his readers that their hope was found in the truth of the Bible. Look at verse five. They heard about the gospel and placed their hope in the truth. So he's he's setting up the foundation for his arguments. The Christian's hope is rooted in the veracity of the gospel. It is the same hope which is credited to all believers in heaven. This same hope in Christ produces fruit in the lives of the, of the church in Colossae. Since the first day they heard the gospel in verse six, uh, they, they, they held on to this fact that the Bible was truthful. They heard the truth from Epaphras as the faithful servant of Christ, as verse 7 indicates. Epaphras alerted Paul and other saints about the conduct of the Christians at Colossae in verse 8. It is a great thing for others to speak well of us. Our lifestyle should always be spiritually attractive. This church exhibited the love of Christ due to the obedience to the Spirit. Of God, So it's important that the modern church um, pay attention to what Paul is conveying to us. Too many believers today often lean on their own understanding and rely on carnal influences. This should not be the case. The first person we should consult when dealing with life's issues is God, not our friends, not our relatives, not our co-workers. It should be God, Paul and Timothy's desire was for this church to practice godly wisdom and to attain divine understanding. Verse 10 explains the reason for this desire. Having godly wisdom and understanding would allow them to please the Lord by doing the following. Number one, be fruitful in every good work, be fruitful in every good work, everything we do, um, for other people, every good work we uh, uh, perform. Don't forget, we're not just doing good works to do good works. Good works are being produced through you for God to be glorified. And that's the problem. Uh, there were many institutions who started off as Christian institutions, but then they left the gospel of Jesus Christ and became uh, community entities based on works alone. Salvation Army started off with a Christian Uh, bent a Christian foundation, but now they're only uh, um, known uh, for their good works. Uh, Even Harvard was a a Christian institution at one point, but now uh, Harvard is known for a scholarship and secular works. So it doesn't have to be either or, but when we leave the influence of Jesus and we forget our first love, then we forget that every good work that we do, Is not to do good works by itself, but to use it uh, to glorify God. Every miracle had a message. Go through the gospel. There was not a miracle performed by Jesus Christ that didn't have a message attached to it. When Jesus performed a miracle, it was a signpost to a greater message. So number one was to be fruitful in every good work. Number two is to increase in knowledge about God. We never stop learning. Uh, we attend Sunday school. We attend church worship service. We attend Bible study. We're now watching um, instructions online. And that's fine. But don't quit. Don't stop. Don't say I know enough. We never stop learning. We are are always learning something about God. We we are always gaining insights. We are never complete in terms of knowledge about God. We got to keep reading. We got to keep studying. We got to keep fasting. We have to keep praying. We have to keep meditating. Then we have to keep applying what we learn. So increase in knowledge about God. Number three, we have to be strengthened with all might. Verse 11, which leads to patience and long suffering. Then Paul. He transitions to worship. This church, it was indebted to God, and they learned to praise him for all he had done. God had made them partakers of the inheritance of the saints in in, in light, verse 12. The Greek word for light in this verse is photi. The word light in this context is similar to our modern translation. Light is that which contrasts with the darkness. In other words, Paul is telling the church of Colossae that they are to live in the light of Christ, which effectually contracts the lifestyle of those that live outside the will of God, which is darkness. Paul reminds them that we're all delivered from the power of darkness. The power of darkness, as you and I know, is real. All of us were once in darkness prior to accepting Christ. You can grow up in church and still be in darkness. We lived outside of the perfect will of God when we were in darkness. We were doing our own thing. We were making, uh, making up our own minds. We were leaning unto our own understanding. We were living the, uh, life the way that we thought we ought to live it. We were in charge of us, so we thought. So Paul reminds them that we were all delivered from the power of darkness. The power of darkness, of course, as I said, is real. So darkness... Is often manifested in various ways. Here's the following examples. Those who engage in the occult, right? Those who mess around with Ouija boards and those uh, who, 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 who engage in necromancy and those uh, who contact mediums. Um, God has already warned us, especially in Deuteronomy 18, that we ought to stay away from those things. Those of us who participate in cultic rituals. Uh, Paul says stay away from that. Atheisms. Uh, atheism um, is another illegitimate philosophy if we want to follow God. Astrology, there are people that are still engaged in astrology and trying to live their lives based on the position of the cosmos. Numerology, those who base their lives on numbers. Uh, if if the numbers don't line up right, then they're not going to have a good day. So uh, even new age, new age and and uh, New Age thinking and New Age philosophies and New Age uh, methodologies, all of these ideas have to be rejected. So they're part of the darkness and God is calling us into the marvelous light. So whatever ideas, whatever philosophies, whatever memes, whatever pedagogy you prescribe to make sure you filter it by the word of God. If it's not accepted by the word of God, then we must learn to reject it. And how do we reject it? We trust God. We meditate on his word. We believe in him. He knows better than we do about all of these things. So our time, uh, has come to a close for this section, but we'll continue through the book of Colossians, uh, for the next episode. Uh, we, we thank you for being a supporter. We thank you for your prayers. And for those of you who have yet to prescribed and donate, uh, to sign reason ministries, we invite you to donate, uh, for the show and for the ministry. And, uh, we, we just trust in God that we're going to meet our financial goal through you. And again, uh, continue to live for Christ and to do, For the truth, what so many people do for a lie. God bless you.
0: Thanks for listening to Sound Reasoning with apologist and minister, Perseus Poku from Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's lesson has equipped you to share and defend your Christian faith with boldness. Sound Reasoning Ministries offers training in apologetics, biblical studies, and systematic theology.